Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new Gehenna Gaming interview. Today, I am joined by two of the founders of Storytellers Forge, Rick Hines and Courtney Penny. The creative team behind the Red Opera have just launched their latest endeavor alongside previous collaborators, Diamorte, The Black Ballad, a new scenario book for 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons that explores where your PCs go when they die. So without further ado, welcome, Rick and Courtney. How are you doing today? Ah, fantastic. Thanks for having us again, Ian. Yeah. I, so... I, I, I know that um, this is going to air a couple days after we're recording it right now. Um, it'll actually air on the seventh day of your Kickstarter, but uh, or not Kickstarter, crowdfunding, because you're using Backerkit. Uh, but you've already passed your goal and are funded. So congratulations. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no, it was crazy. We actually, we could talk at some point about whole length about strategy on crowdfunding <laughs> yeah. and like reasons of why we did what we did. But to get funded within 24 hours at posting a very realistic goal uh completely blew us away which means that a lot of dms and storytellers out there completely tpk their parties on a regular basis which is kind of terrifying yeah that's worrisome but we will touch on that later <laughs> <laughs> fantastic um so rick you and i have gotten a chance to talk uh, quite a bit in the past courtney this is the first time we've met so first of all welcome to gehenna gaming uh it's nice to meet you you are the editor for the book, correct? One of, yes. One of. Uh, great. So I will have some questions uh, about that, but a couple of mine are very focused on the writing as well, so I don't want you to feel left out. Um, just giving you a heads up. Um, so my first question really um, is, The Black Ballad is a very fascinating concept to me. It is a full-length scenario book to play when your party experiences a TPK or, you know, it's a very cleric-focused uh, scenario uh, as compared to the Red Opera, which was very warlock-focused. What was the inspiration behind this one? So um, I really like coming up with campaigns and settings that plug into anybody's homebrew world. And I mean, even right at the start, you mentioned, uh, you know, hey, it was for fifth edition. Sure, the rules and the stories are the rules of the setting the rules, I should say, are fifth edition. But I've run this as a sample play test for like, you know, Vampire the Masquerade tied with Wraith the Oblivion or other storylines because death is a permeating concept throughout all uh, any kind of like tabletop mm -hmm. RPG game. And when you're a storyteller who invests so much time into your parties, your characters, you know, like their conspiracies, their uplifting tales, actually having somebody die at the table can has meaning and impact at times but also if a whole tpk happens or it's about to happen usually there's a lot of pulling things back or even like the dreaded word of retcon to allow fudging things to happen and we wanted to find a way to move things forward i also am fascinated by the concept of what the impact of resurrection magic is mm -hmm in fantasy settings and if you think about it a hundred for a hundred gold pieces in D, &D 100 gold piece diamond you can resurrect somebody back from the dead which what consequences does a tyrant king ever really have um to stop being evil maybe fantasy worlds never change or move beyond the fantasy setting because nobody ever truly dies gods have legions of followers that would in theory work to resurrect them back from the grave or you know other possibilities are just endless and if you think that forgotten realms has had a history for like over ten thousand, you know in canon near settings and the realm is still the same there's never really any major evolution because 
even the bad guys can get revived. Yep. And so nothing ever changes. And so we had this, uh, this time around, I had this idea about what the impact of resurrection would be and granting people peace and whether or not that should even be allowed to exist. And we want to put that in the hands of the players. And when we talk about the music with Dia Morte, this time around, we're actually writing the lore that's going into the album later. So it's a bit inverse from the Red Opera. Furthermore, with the cleric bent, you know, just like the Red Opera was, uh, you know, warlocks, um, you know, I have an idea for an entire paladin one. I find that attaching a book to a singular uh, concept, divinity in this case, allows you to, as a writer, really narrow down, here is this core concept that we absolutely want to explore, and then let everybody in the party see what it's like to have that experience for that class. Because in the Black Ballad, everybody's going to interact with gods at some mm -hmm. point. Everybody's going to feel, you know, what it's like to wield domain magic, whether or not they're a barbarian or a you right. know, rogue or anything. And in there are certain classes across any game system, Cyberpunk, uh, you know, Vampire the Masquerade, D&D, &D, Pathfinder, that usually have some external entity that you might be talking to or a voice in your head or things like that. And for storytellers at the table running a game, you now are isolating that singular player in order to run and fully develop that. Or you just kind of, eh, whatever, you got this class with these abilities and they're never played upon. So by putting the focus on that like divinity in this case, the interaction with the gods and letting everybody in the party interact with them, we can keep, tell a story that involves the entire play group, um, even when they're dead. And we yeah. even have some stuff in there for what happens if you have a split party. <laughs> um, so I like it. Uh, I also noted you went from, and I know you worked on sirens in between, but you went from a book where that dealt heavily with a relationship with a higher power to another book that deals heavily with relationships with higher powers. Cause you went from warlocks to clerics. That's going to be a very interesting to see the, the difference between the two. Well, uh, in the Red Opera, we had this entire chapter on what separates a deity from a patron. Like, what is the iconic difference between them? And in this one, we actually get to expand upon that even further um, to really set them apart. And also, where do gods draw their power from? How does the interplay with domains and deities down into a cleric uh, actually happen? So... Yeah, I think I kind of like the higher power thing. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, maybe just me, I'm fascinated by, <laughs> you know, that concept. Um, you know, I could probably come up with something for sorcerers as well, even though their blood, their power comes from within. But... Right, right. Uh, so, as you mentioned, that in this case, you are developing the lore for an album. The Red Opera was inspired by the music of Dia Morte, and you're working with them again for this book. Uh, what is it like to work alongside musicians creating a TTRPG setting like that? Very, very interesting. Musicians, uh, when it comes to their, uh, like, especially with Dia Morte, uh, they have all of these, like, crazy epic ideas. And they write, if you think about what a musician's write, they write their lyrics and their songs in very, very short form media. So in the Red Opera, this is actually something Courtney did a lot, was when she transcribed all of the lyrics to then help break them apart into longer plot segments that then we would fill in you know, 
100,000 words to actually make that a story. Lyrics are more poetic and poetry in nature that are just high level concepts without those, you know, truly uh, heroic journeys or those pitfalls so much throughout them. Even though the album itself was like an opera, um, it's still a collection of largely 10 very long form poems strung together. And when we were getting the download of lore for the Red Opera from the band, uh, the first time for the Red Opera, you know, Courtney and I were sitting there, we were nodding, we're doing our thing. And, and you know, we're two writers uh, that, you know, novelists and other aspects and things. And we're like, yeah, okay. What about all these things that need to happen in order for the plot <laughs> to go? And, uh, you know, the initial pushback actually from the band was, was something that did happen because they were like, well, wait a minute, we can't have fireballs. This is a story of morbid and tragic death. And I was like, ah, but you can because those human elements are still there. Here is the setting and the environment that's there. And then once they actually saw the Red Opry manuscript, they were like, oh, okay, this is epic and awesome. And then we as they started doing some stage performances um and doing their stage operas and then it came up to they're a metal band and they're mm -hmm. on stage doing an opera so they need lyrics behind them in order for people to really you know kind of grasp what they're saying especially in like a live concert hall right and then there's interludes and things that help tell a story to actually make it like a full classic operatic experience and they started seeing that those stitched narrative threads were a thing so i in between these two things i'd actually kind of become this like lore person for the band where i was updating their their lyrics and tying things and building the world stitch and this time the black ballad album the metal album is being developed uh tangentially at the same time that we're writing the book so you know we were able to sit on down ahead of time and be like okay we're going to do 10 chapters 10 mm -hmm. songs you know they're going to be tied and we're like you know drake has the um uh, Drake and Mike Romeo have the uh, like composition score for them. So I listened to all like the preamble music ahead of time. And it's like, okay, the theme for this is this beat. This is redemption. This is tragedy. And so I'm more, we are more or less writing based off of just high end emotions. And as we're filling in the plot line, the story that's going to be on the band's album is a story of these two entities that hate each other so much they're willing to like like fight and in the black ballad campaign the players are in the world of the sun sunless crossing something's going to happen and the calamity is going to ensue the band's metal album is the story of those two characters that everybody feels the rever reverberations from truly trying to kill each other even in the afterlife awesome i i am very much looking forward to listening to this one um so with the red opera you developed an entire book an entire world separately from existing lore from any system will will the black ballad be as long and detailed as the red opera was yeah it's going to be a book that you can use as an improvised weapon if needed um <laughs> uh it it does it the setting of the Black Ballad um, is the Sunless Crossing. It's this transitionary realm of the afterlife. Because if gods probably don't want souls being resurrected out of their heavens or devils from their hells, just because some necromancer or cleric decides to go, hey, 
we're pulling the soul back from the dead. And so we created this uh, very fun uh, and flavorful transient realm uh, with the capital city of Nox Villar and the uh, godless monarchy that rule over this realm. And their purpose is to hold souls for the duration that they could possibly be resurrected um, or reanimated before ushering them along to the afterlife so time kind of works in this purgatory for a little while a little stranger you know hmm. interesting uh so you mentioned the sunless crossing this book focuses on the sunless crossing and the city of nox Valar, um yes. which is the home of the dead essentially can you tell us more about uh, how this land operates is, and kind of what you were just touching on Right. So uh, the idea is that anybody who dies in any multiversal plane, whether it be Forgotten Realms, Ravnica, you know, uh, the Shadowfell, their souls are going to pass he through here and they land in the Sunless Crossing. You know, chapter one is all about your party and your characters being, you know, greeted by what we call Ashen Shepherds. Uh, these uh, shepherds that go out to the fields, they pick up souls and they take them on a journey to understand that, hey, you're dead. Um, and normally outside of the campaign events of the Black Ballad, what happens is the souls, they go, they process that they're dead and they go to the city of Nox Valar and they find out that uh, you might be stuck waiting here for 200 years, right? You are just stuck in this limbo and the dead have ample times on their hands. Now there's gargoyles, uh, one of our species um, that like, reside over this place because it is a very cleric focused place uh the city of Naxvalar is like a capital city filled with temples and faiths of all different you know religions from multiple pantheons and there's living entities here planeswalkers people clerics from the real world and avatars from gods in uh infernals like de devils that will actually sit there and be like i could help expedite your process out of here you want to sign this contract you know, and sometimes people might want to take that deal. Of course, we can put in the idea that, like, you know, chaotically evil demons might just raid the realm to go harvest some souls, but like drag them back to their pits. So there's natural threats. One of the things that we are proposing uh, is that as you die in the Sunless Crossing, you actually just end up respawning within it again, but you lose a fragment of your memory. Um, you lose a part of you that was and the more times you die the more you start becoming in a corporal shadow or white mm -hmm. and because if you look at like the fifth edition monsters manual where did the incorporal undead really come from and so we're kind of like developing here's the place that these souls might get murdered there are two warlords fight over their favorite pomegranate tree out in the ashen fields and they keep killing each other <laughs> until eventually they're just these like you know like sh like incorporal specters with no memory of themselves and it's a fine line and fun for i think players because of course there's a lot of boons to getting killed a few <laughs> times and getting access to some of these powers yeah and still have some of your memories but eventually there's that threshold that you're gonna have to walk on mm -hmm. um one of um my personal favorite things courtney actually developed in tangent with uh crystal mauser who you guys are uh, super familiar with we have a whole purgatory poker system because if you think about the amount of people in the world uh in all worlds that die in adventurer settings there's got to be lines for everything mm -hmm. in purgatory I and you're you're bored 
You have nothing to do. <laughs> You're stuck having to deal with these lines. You, know, you want to go expedite your process and go talk to this great cathedral on Eternity Row, you know, but they have a line that's cool here. Take your ticket, come mm -hmm. back in 50 years. What people do uh, to pass the time, one of the uh, the games that's there is, is Purgatory Poker, where they gamble their time that they have in lines so they could expedite and get favors. I'd like to actually have a question about that, because uh, how do I play Purgatory Poker? I have some souls to wager. <laughs> uh, uh, Courtney, do you want to uh, explain Purgatory <laughs> Poker? Uh, well, the game is quite simple. Um so you have a deck of cards and you draw two and then you roll a d4 and whatever number you roll you draw that many extra cards and what the aim is is you need to have a matching number pair or a matching suit and then it's ranked on um so like the highest matching pet number pair go like wins first and then it'll be like suits, single numbers, single suit, like all the way through. So it's very much a, the winning hand takes the tickets and the coins that are put on the table that are, are, are gambled away. And, and, and the the residents of the Sunless Crossing are essentially gambling with their time. Interesting. Uh, the, the souls that come in yes interesting so and then when you think about what the fun implications of this would be right you have a first in spot line you're next in line to meet the godless monarchy the sovereign you have a winning like you have a, the most mm -hmm. valuable ticket at that time and so your bet holds a lot and you might even be tempted to just go cash that in for some magic item uh, or something to like a cleric or uh, some like shopsmith. So that's actually sort of our economy. And we've kind of joked that there's piles of gold because when souls die to the uh, sunless crossing, you're allowed to bring over four items that are important to your character. And how many people would be greedy and think I'm taking my bag of gold? Um, I mean, the nothing. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Um, switching gears a little bit. So this book focuses heavily on clerics. Are we going to be seeing new gods and pantheons developed outside of established different realms of lore in D&D uh, &D or? Of, of course. I mean, you know, you have to present new things. Fantastic. Uh, so we are writing new domains. Uh, we actually just unlocked a stretch goal to write two more. Our current ones that we had in the book were the domains of dream and the domain of regret. We wanted to start playing around with the idea of negative domains rather than just like creation, travel. You know, there was only really death and maybe grave that were kind of darker. And so we're doing dream and regret uh, as two op two sides of opposites. And now we're doing wish and envy and wish is going to be a domain for like gods that wish to um, like grant everything to their followers. But mm -hmm. even what if you wanted to have a deed in your world that was very uh, Luciferian and just wanted to give knowledge and let people have everything that they desired until they realized that there was nothing worth desiring. Um, and then envy is the exact opposite. Envy is all about, I, if I can't have it, nobody will. And it's about 
for followers and gods that were scorned or lost something perhaps in the holy war or a crusade that they just become fueled with this kind of like i am gonna be this like damaging cleric that has no sense for collateral damage um and just kind of go out there uh as for gods one of the reasons we actually paused um writing in the campaign to do crowdfunding is we have a tier called ascend to godhood where anybody could actually go on in and they can buy this tier and they'll work with our entire creative team our art director our art team and we'll design full cover artwork an entire religion uh you know temples followers and their god and tie them into the story um because at some point during the events that happen the characters all are going to have to start beseeching gods mm. um, and getting involved with them uh, in order to move things uh, forward. So we do have um, new gods that we're putting in. Um, we're also leaving it all written so that it can still work with Dark Sun, uh, different uh, game systems, different homebrew worlds, like, right? So how many people do we know that just have their own settings and mm -hmm. we are incredibly cognizant of never wanting to disrupt somebody's own setting but just provide something that can plug into it and enhance what they already have fantastic uh so in part of this and in kicking off the black ballad you have also launched your own game studio um can we now that you have creative control and should we expect to be seeing uh the black ballot appearing for like virtual tabletops and things like that for online games so the black ballot um this round is not going to go for the virtual tabletop thing turns out converting to virtual tabletops um is actually a very very large undertaking um and it's best done when the book is complete and delivered we are going to go there at some point um i think after this book is delivered and it's in everybody's hands because to us it's more important that we fulfill the promises that we set out to make right there was um, I have seen Kickstarters unfulfilled. I've been a part of projects that might never be delivered. And this allows us to say, no, here we are. We're this creative team that, you know, does know what we're doing. Here's this book in your hands. Here's this album. Here's a purgatory poker deck, an adventure journal, a novel, these things. And then we're going to do a virtual tabletop with maybe like a player's guide uh, add on some side quests, something like that. And the focus of that one is to, you know, actually hire and pay and work with the developers of Foundry, Fantasy Grounds. Um, you know, uh, there's a bunch that have spawned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that point, we, when we had started our studio, it was just before the OGL drama. Mm -hmm. And we were actually email. I was in email talks with like the people from Foundry and stuff like that. Cause you have to get approved before you put them on your crowdfunding page. But then the OGL thing happens and every virtual tabletop was literally the target of that entire controversy. Mm -hmm. So developmental wise, it just made sense to wait until we wrapped up this one and then we can go ahead and develop it for that. Now that the dust is, is settled. Um, and then studio-wise, we're also not going to only write for 5th edition. Mm -hmm. um, our plan is to write storylines for multiple campaigns and multiple game settings. We're already looking at a Powered by the Apocalypse one, uh, a, a Pathfinder one, and um, even a Dread system for the horror 
uh, Jenga tower. Awesome. Looking forward to all of those. Um, one or two more questions about the black battle. Then I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Uh, and this question is for both of you. What are your favorite parts of the new book so far that you can tease people with? Courtney, you go first. Um, I mean, I, I'm enjoying all the writing that's coming in, but seeing that writing then being turned into art has been like even on even on the back of kit some of the artwork that's being like teased there with with the tears and stuff watching or like being part of the process seeing the process of like the different stages and how it develops has been really fun because even though I'm like Rick and I will fill out art orders and everything but then seeing them take those words and then turn them into actual images like fully fleshed living images is just it's amazing so i am never allowed to write art orders again um because uh i have no ability when it comes to editing i am a straight up author of like you know words on a page that just cut loose and i just go and so my first batch of art orders were like paragraphs long of like <laughs> here's all this lore and this is what this thing means and here's all this stuff and so courtney now writes our art orders because she will distill it very nice neat like things she was working with our art yeah. direct she was working with our art director james zingo uh to be like no no this is this is this is what we need and if the artist asks for more then rick can give them the entire chapter to read um <laughs> nice um as for me, my favorite thing, um, and I can only talk a little bit about it, but it is chapter 10, the end of the book, and what what we're really going to do with these alternate endings that are meant to have a lasting effect on your campaign world beyond mm -hmm. the events of the Black Ballad. The players have full choice. There's multiple endings. We tell you how to like weave that tale. Um, and even if your players are like completely over here, we give you the themes that you need to for any storyteller, whether they're new or they're experienced, to be like, here's what we're trying to hit. Go ahead and craft your own ending if you need to. But we have four sort of canon endings based on which paths the players choose all throughout the adventure. And they can choose at any point up to that last minute. And um, when they're done, though, the idea is that the journey in the Sunless Crossing is over but your players then go back to their campaign world and it is forever changed. Awesome. Very cool. Um, shifting gears a little bit. I wanted to ask you a question. Rick, you and I have talked about this on several occasions, but Courtney, we haven't gotten a chance to. So I'd like to touch on how you got your start in tabletop gaming. Rick. <laughs> Like literally Rick, uh, re meeting Rick was basically my introduction. Um, I had like a few discord based um, White Wolf games prior, but they, they weren't too long lived in like the grand scheme of like TTRPG. <laughs> um, and like, obviously because I'm from the UK, they were predominantly set within the US so time zones also didn't line up very well it was it was only 
um, like when when the Red Opera project started up, that I was like, okay, I can actually be involved within like the tabletop games section with my time zone not really being a hindrance and like so going through that allowed me to learn basically as I went and I've, I've got one of the D&D books on my table right now that I like constantly flip through I'm like I need to check this okay 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 there it is okay good nice yeah no I mean even when I've written on things I've had to reference books for games I've been playing for a decade so <laughs> that is very normal I got uh, like the whole mega drive of like loads of white wolf books as well yep yep um, I, I'd, I'd like to point out that her level of of um charm when it comes to her editorial masterness here she will take the books and transcribe by hand all of the rules and everything that she needs to reference in these massive excel files for easily form searchable things and like player references to yep. the point where it's like okay um we we call it in-house uh the bibble um as she has named it and um so locations characters the different like groups like factions and everything within it it's important information to be able to access very quickly yep uh what is your favorite game system that you've gotten to play so far hmm Vampire the Masquerade. Always a good choice. Always a good choice. What clan? Uh, I go by Ravnos online, if that's any clue. That's fair enough. Giovanni <laughs> is, is mine. Acceptable. Acceptable. Uh, Rick, I think you and I have uh, talked about this before. Um, although you did mention something earlier, and I want to circle back around to it briefly. Um, when are we getting the conversion kit for Wraith so that we can uh, introduce the... Uh, the Sunless yeah, Crossing the into the Shades Shadelands. <laughs> uh, well, uh, officially, the uh, I, I'd have to probably tackle the people <laughs> at Onyx Path um, to figure out who's holding the rights to Wraith at the moment yeah. for that. Um, that thing has bounced around in the industry like a crazy, uh, like mm -hmm. it's all over the place. But if I yep. if I could ever find that team. <laughs> I absolutely will ambush them and like let me do this. I'll even update it to V5 for you, right? That world engine. Like just just let me have this. Um yeah, no, Wraith the Oblivion was I mean how I got started in mm -hmm. uh freelance writing um outside of doing my novel series. So um it you know, since we had kind of talked last, I got to write something that is very near and dear to my heart, which was the official Crow Prayers of the Past. And my story got approved by James O'Barr, and it's fully published. Um, it actually um, comes out in like two two weeks, um, I think, officially. The PDF's already released. But um, my pitch to that studio, they had acquired the rights to make the Crow RPG. And I sent in a photo of me... Um, Evil Evil Genius Studios is the studio that got it. I sent in a mm -hmm. photo of me dressed as the crow when I was a goth <laughs> teenager, along with like like my early wraith writings. And I'm like, no, you guys don't want this to be from like a Paizo or like mm -hmm. a Pathfinder style. You need to like know that this thing was based like Wraith the Oblivion and the Risen were based off the crow. All right. Yep. Let's just put it out there. That is what it is. 
I don't um, think anyone would argue with that. Yeah. So. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, that that was one of the things that I I had done um, sort of after the uh, uh, after the transition of leaving Apotheosis Studios, I went mm-hmm. to go do some other uh, other work before starting Storytellers Forge. Fantastic. Um, bouncing through all of those things, what do you and I know Rick, you've created a vast number of characters from from writing as well as from playing games, but who is your favorite? character that you've gotten a chance to play in a game this is for both of you of course oh man okay i cannot go first on this one i have so many like that is <laughs> that's a that's a harsh that's a toughie because so for me obviously like i i view your characters as you're always putting a part of yourself within your characters but then they sort of like develop by themselves so they're technically like children you're asking me to pick a favorite child that's right that's not nice (laughs) this is a horror channel (laughs) you're gonna start an internal fight um hmm probably my most recent one just because she's still going through her whole her whole arc her whole story um and her name is alexi and she is a damphia from koe um and it's just in a world absolutely like riddled with magic there's no masquerade nothing and she is just a 100 eye of the storm like I'm gonna do this, so uh, fuck the repercussions. I'm doing it. She just barrels straight into it. Nice. Uh, I think uh, with mine, I have to go with the character uh, Mike Auburn, um, mm-hmm. and he was a uh, bruja that I played once in a LARP. Um, you know, total union anarchist. Like, let's let's freaking go. Um, or and you know, ended up like even like going to be like prince of a city even though i was on a different faction side um just to try to find a change within the organization and i ended up playing in this huge very long-term game um and it was a very rough time for the character before eventually he was put down by higher powers that be for causing too much rabble and rousing um but when the game ended i actually still carried that character sheet around in my like trench coat pocket for a very long time and because the character was somebody who wasn't just all fire and brimstone he was somebody that basically was fighting so hard to prove that he was still alive because Mm -hmm. even though he saw like he had the flawed death sight so he saw the world is just grim and dark and he was like no i'm still here and that's why he fought so hard and some of his core character motivations actually translated exceptionally well into other forms of stories and fiction outside of role-playing um so yeah fantastic and then what is your last last question in this vein? Uh, what is your preferred method of just winding down after a game? Ah, dealing with bleed. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, music. I will usually grab a fine drink uh, of various sorts, sit on down, pull up a bunch of like anime music videos on 
like my computer screen and just listen to like playlists of random stuff, which then makes me start wanting to write. And then before I know it, um, I'm like, all right, cool. I got ideas for entire chapters. Um, and I'm doing things I use at this point. Gaming for me um, is basically a chance to experimentally play in my head or in live play mm. with things that I actually want to write in novels or ideas. So a lot of characters I make now are like, hey, I want to take a character in my novel that has this motivation. I might build a character for any game system based off that and then kind of dial it up to 11 to see what happens in a, a scenario where that character has no control. Because as a writer, I am a bit nuts. I talk to myself in my head with my characters, and every writer agrees with me that this happens to us. Yeah. But we're basically just role-playing with ourselves in our head behind the keyboard. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Courtney? Um, I guess it depends on how the session goes. If it's a good one, I'll just like curl up with a video game. If it's a bad one, I will stressfully do Sudoku. <laughs> there's always usually like background music in, involved that's sort of like either video game like music from games that I really enjoy that are more um, n no lyrics so like just full um, or one specific to the character that I've been doing so it's like yeah this is how she's going to be feeling after all of that <laughs> fantastic awesome we are reaching the end of the serious portion of the interview. <laughs> um, I have, just have a quick couple quick questions for both of you. Uh, answer. This is my lightning round uh, answer. The first thing that comes to your head and we'll take it from there. And what is your favorite horror movie? The Exorcist. Okay. I, I do not watch horror. I'm way too much for Scaredy Cat. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's acceptable, though. Uh, what is your favorite country that you visited? Denmark. America. <laughs> Chicago. Okay. I have not, I'm not very well traveled. I Fair enough. Fair enough. I got, I got stuck on a layover going from Manchester, coming back to Chicago and they, I, I fell asleep on the plane and I woke up in Copenhagen um, okay. And I was not supposed to be there. And I was like, what the hell? Why am I in here? So I was there for a, like two days in Copenhagen and completely by myself, didn't have to go to work. So I was like, yeah, there's a massive snowstorm. I'm stuck in Denmark, guys. And the airline put, holiday. The airline put me up in a really nice hotel. They gave me okay. like free meal vouchers and like six bottles of wine. Okay. And just cut me loose in Copenhagen and it was awesome. Like Yeah, that, that sounds pretty amazing. Nice. Uh what is your favorite album to listen to? Mm, the first one that pops to mind is the transistor OST. Okay. Ooh. Oh, I shouldn't have let her go first because that was a really good one. I listened to that when I'm writing. Um, it was one of the things that we had bonded over. Like, but um, I Literally was gonna one go. Of my favorite things. Uh, uh, I was gonna go with uh, Tool because I still listen to Tool on repeat in background. Which album? 
Oh man. <laughs> As someone who also listens to tool far more than yeah. I should admit to. Um, so I, 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 I don't think I have it in album because at this point I've kind of moved beyond CDs mm-hmm. where I was no longer doing them. It's just a massive Spotify playlist that is hours long of their entire library. Nice. Um, you know, vicarious though is one of my favorite songs okay. um, and is something that I have like, I have for every character that I ever build in both games, fictions, I mean, even Majin the Betrayer in the Black Ballad, every single character has entire soundtracks by me, custom mm-hmm. built to each of them. And I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have yeah, right. oh, 300 some odd Spotify playlists. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's always uh, so that, but that's one that always seems to make it into my themes in, in some capacity. Um Nice. But my favorite, my favorite CD ever in life was Fear Factory, um, D Manufacturer. It was the first CD I ever got from Good Columbia one. House uh, when they gave you the stack of CDs for yep. a penny. Um, and I, to this day, cannot read the Wheel of Time series without hearing D Manufacturer in the background. <laughs> Those don't pair in my head, but that works. <laughs> nice. Uh, last question: What is your favorite book that you haven't written? Oh, okay. I mean, you know, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be that conceited. Jeez. Uh, uh, favorite book that I haven't written. Um, King Rat by China Mavell, I think, is a very underrated book that not a lot of people have ever like heard about or gotten to see. But if you are a fan of urban fantasy, London mm-hmm. Underground, and like just fantastic story about like the Pied Piper as a villain, yeah, um, it is that book is one of the reasons that I actually wanted to become a writer. That is a fantastic book. I'm, no Mine, wonder we get along. Not many people have read that. <laughs> Mine's less of a single book, more of like an anthology, and it's called Rogues. Um, and it's literally just a bunch of story where stories where the main characters are rogue-like characters. But it's, I mean, the reason why it was picked up is because I've got the um, box set for Game of Thrones, and George R. R. Martin was one of the contributing writers in that. I think I own so, that actually. It's like quite chunky as well. It's like that. <laughs> um, but no, my someone spotted it and got it for me because I was gonna read those, and then I got distracted reading that, and now the box that is sat on the shelf, looking very pretty, screaming at me to actually take a book and open it, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'll get to you at some point. Very nice. Very nice. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to The Black Ballad. It's going to be a very interesting read. I'm interested to see how you handle clerics as comp- compared to warlocks. Um, I have one thing. You have a very interesting read. One thing that we're not really talking about yet, it's actually the first podcast mm-hmm. I've had a chance to mention this on, because you asked about books. Yes. We're actually tying novels into the setting of the Black Ballad. And oh, our really? first yeah, our first novel comes out with the book when it gets released. It's called Duskwalker. Um, we actually have an open submission okay. form on our website. If people are interested in being writers, uh, we have a whole like studio arrangement where we can get like full publishing for things through our publishing partners for horsemen but duskwalker is the story of the first unhallowed 
Um, and okay. the unhallowed are a species that we're presenting that escape from this afterlife and find that the Sunless Crossing still has prison chains on them. And every night mm. that though they're in the lands of the living, when they fall asleep, their soul descends back to the afterlife. And the story is about one of the first ones who does it. And every night he falls back into uh, the, the ashen fields. Um, that's the only time he can see those wow. Uh, that he was familiar with for so long wild so but yeah we're actually going to for all game lines from storytellers forge we're going to be having novels um as well that aren't really telling the story of the campaign but are mm. just nice fiction inside the world mm. to help expand things books set within the the universe for world yep. building and that's awesome very much looking forward to that <laughs> um awesome well uh for those of you watching or listening to this, uh, this is going to air on YouTube on Monday. So the seven, seven days into the campaign. Uh, Rick, when does the campaign end? April 5th. April 5th. Awesome. So people, uh, you can go check that out. There'll be a link in the description, but you can go to backerkit.com slash storytellers for just go to backerkit.com and search for it. <laughs> yeah, type in the black ballot. You're fine. Or go to storytellersforge.com and you can find it over there. Awesome. Thank click you. Click the link, though. That's the best way. Yeah, click the link. Thank you both for joining me. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure getting to talk with you. And uh, congrats on hitting your goal already. Thank you so thank much, you. man. And thank you for having us. Absolutely. Take care. Bye.